Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you're joining us today for our recap and discussion of Gardens of the Moon, volume one of the Malazan Book of the Fallen by Steven Erickson. Today, we will be discussing books one and two of Gardens of the Moon, those being Pale and Darugistan, respectively. Oh my god, we have so much ahead of us here, Chad. What a lovely journey awaits. We are, we are embarking on such a, a trek here. Uh, everybody right now that's listening with us, we're so happy to have you here. This is going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much work on the part of, of me and Chad, but not only just for me and Chad, but it's going to be a lot of work for you, the listener, to be patient with me and Chad as hosts. Uh, Chad, for everybody that's wondering, Chad has has read... I think seven books. I in think this? seven. Yeah, that's that's Toll the Hounds, right? Police. I'm not. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember either. We, we will be Maladon experts by the end of this. But... Seven is Reaper's Gale. I'm sorry. Okay, so you got to Reaper's Gale. Yep. Is that the one? Okay. Uh, that's the one. I yeah. only for anybody that's listening, um, that's curious. My history with Malazan has been kind of strange because I read Gardens of the Moon years and years ago, and I was like, whatever the hell that was, and I just like didn't. Uh, I didn't really know what was going on and then I started Dead House Gates and it was just on a completely different continent and I was like I don't know what I I give up I can't do this anymore like I I tried the first book I don't know what's going on still 700 pages later there was a time and a place and it wasn't then (laughs) and then I I got a different job and it was uh, this, this person I was working with named Joe I don't know if Joe's listening to this but this person Joe that I was working with told me Evan, you need to push through Malazan Book of the Fallen. You have to read all of them. They're so good. They're some of the best fantasy books I've ever read. And I said, okay, I'll, re- I'll reread Gardens of the Moon. I will I will keep going. So I reread Gardens of the Moon. And then I read, I finished Dead House Gates. And I was like, that was freaking awesome. And then I started Memories of Ice in early 2021. And I got about 200 pages into Memories of Ice and then started making content on book talk and Instagram and stuff around that same time. And when Mm. I started making all that content, I was like, Oh no, like I can't keep reading Malazan because I need to start reading even more stuff. I need to get in and see what everybody else is reading. And because I want to make varied and diverse content, I can't just like make a bunch of Malazan content. I, I could have probably, but but right. I would have I wouldn't have gotten as many followers. Probably a little more relevant. Yeah, I would have been a little bit too niche for just starting out on there. I think. Um, but anyway, I had to put Malazan down for a little bit, even though I was very much enjoying myself. I was already a little bit into Memories of Ice, but I said, okay, I need to put this away for a little bit. But now we can do this. I don't know why. Now is the perfect time, but it just felt right. It feels right to both me and Chad. Chad has read more of this, and I think, Chad, you probably know a lot more than I do about kind of just like uh, how things work, you know? So I might be deferring to you a little bit, but I think that also by the seventh book, you still aren't quite sure exactly what's going on either no these uh uh, you know i I thank you for the history there i love uh kind of setting everybody up for like this is our experience with it in the past and mine you know if if you've listened to multiple episodes of this podcast you've heard me um maybe not complain but mention that my memory is not like the the my, my most best trait so i don't remember it like scene by scene for any reason i do remember when i was reading them oh it's probably five six years ago that at least uh that i was very excited for my secondary read through because i was like i know these books are good enough that i'm going to read them twice over the course of my life at least but the first time through can be a little rough if you're just reading it alone with no friends as, as i was doing and i remember i started in january 
and I got up to the seventh one, Reaper's Gale. And at that point, it was like the summer was ending. And I was just like, man, I'm really tired of reading this series. And I was just <laughs> I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was just like noticed that I hadn't really been reading that much. In fact, it was probably the least amount that I was reading over the course of the last like two decades. And so I was just like, I need something fresh. I think I probably traded out for like a Dritz book and started reading that or something. And then I just never went back to them because when you read Maladon, you can't like take a break for a few months and then pick it up again. You need to just like power all the way through because it's so complicated and so little of it is actually explained to you. Uh, you know, it, uh, Steven Erickson does not baby you or hold your hand throughout the course of this series it is very much just you, you're like a, it's like a river and you're just dropped into it just blunk, and then you're going there's no preface as to like oh here's the spring here's where it dumps into the ocean no you just go and and they're along for the ride so if you're reading it with us and you're thinking man there's a lot that i don't understand that is it's not a you thing it's a book thing so totally. know that and I, th you know, we've had some people in the in the Discord that are very excited because they've read the first couple hundred pages, which is where we're stopping the episode today, uh, about page two hundred thirty-seven or something like that. And they said, "Exactly, hey, this isn't this isn't exactly as uh, confusing as I thought it was going to be." And that's really awesome. Uh, people that are extremely confused right now, that's what this episode is for. Chad and I are going to do a recap of those first two books, including the prologue, of course, and then we're going to discuss and. I do want to put a little bit of a disclaimer out here for anybody that's listening to this first episode of this probably 40 long, uh, 40 episode long journey that Chad and I are about to go on. Chad and I are going to get a lot of things wrong. Like yes. we're just, we're, we're going, this is just the nature of this series. We're going to guess a lot of things. We're going to probably what we say and what we think is going to happen and, and how we're interpreting things could be objectively wrong to people that have finished the series so just please be patient with us and just please know that like chad and i are doing our very best uh to try and keep everything as contained and like and as accurate as we possibly can we will obviously make sure that the recaps are you know that's not a matter of opinion or anything that's just explaining what happens so we can, do that. Right. we can do that justice for sure but um i just wanted to throw that out there because these books are just so they're so ambitious and there's just so many moving parts to them even on my third read of Gardens of the Moon, I got a lot more of it this time. Obviously, I've read the book twice, but I don't have the 10 books to put. I still don't know what like the houses are. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know. I know what the Warrens are, but like oh, that. The, oh, the, my God. <laughs> I know. I just mentioned something that you totally forgot. Dude, I didn't like, even <laughs> think of it. Oh, my gosh. You're right. Jesus. And you were, you were like. <laughs> Sorry, I was giggling over. No, here. no, and this is gonna happen many times. Please be gentle with me because I've read these before and I will know so little, you know. But there's just it just really goes to show that there's just so much in in these books. And so everybody, we we just want to thank you in advance for your patience with us, and we want to just congratulate you on choosing to take this ride. You might get off of it at some point, and we totally understand. But Chad and I are muscling our way all the way through this, and we're gonna start right now with the recap for the first book the first two books of the first volume <laughs> and we are so stoked to have you along with us because i really that was the missing element when i first read these books was you evan to talk with and then you all listeners to kind of keep me motivated and to talk to you in the discord and it's just gonna I'm, we're gonna get so much more out of it because i really think uh this is the only thing the only series that i can, can say that is similar to this and how 
I feel like it's seminal to the fantasy category, maybe Lord of the Rings, but would be the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. Like, I think it's like a cornerstone uh, must read if you're really trying to be a well-rounded fantasy reader, you know? So uh, if you are debating whether or not to join us, you should. All right, let's do the recap. Let's do the recap. I'm going to read it. Here we go. Oh, boy. Here we go. Oh Oh, my goodness. The series opens in the 96th year of the Malazan Empire, during the final year of Emperor Kalinved's reign. A 12-year-old Ganoas Peran witnesses the sacking of the Mouse Quarter of Malaz City, where Surly, commander of the Malazan Empire's intelligence faction known as the Claw, is executing unregistered sorcerers after witches have begun to riot opposing the Empire's harsh sanctions. Perrin also witnesses a confrontation between Surly, now calling herself Lessine, or Throne Master, and Whiskey Jack, at that time commander of the Malazan Third Army, where their mutual dislike is confirmed. Perrin expresses a desire to be a soldier when he grows older, much to Whiskey Jack's disapproval. Seven years pass, and Lessine now rules as the Malazan Empress. Two new ascendants have appeared in the Pantheon. Amanas, or Shadow Throne, and Cotillion, or The Rope, who have seized control of the House of Shadow and are now plotting Lassine's death. Cotillion possesses a young fisher girl, assuming the name of Sari, living in the Itko Khan province of the Quantali continent. Sari is compelled by Cotillion to join the Malazan Second Army under High Fist Dujek One Arm, which is fighting on the Genabacus continent as part of a long-range scheme to get her close to the Empress. Amanus unleashes his Hounds of Shadow to wipe out a nearby Malazan cavalry regiment to draw attention away from the sorcery used in the area. Adjunct Lorn, personal aide to the Empress, is not fooled and recruits Ganoas Perrin, now a lieutenant, to help her track down the missing fisher girl. Two years later, the Malazan Second Army under High Fist Dujek is besieging the city of Pale, one of only two free cities left on Genabacus. Pale is holding out thanks to an alliance with the powerful Anomander Rake, lord of a floating fortress called Moonspawn. Rake is commander of the non-human Tist-Andy race and his own allies, Prince Kaz Devor of the Crimson Guard, and the powerful warlord Kaladin Brood and his troops. Devor, Brood, and their troops have been drawn off to the north by renewed efforts of the Malazan Fifth Army to capture Black Dog Forest, leaving Rake vulnerable to attack. The decision is made to attack Moonspawn. During the battle, several of the Empire's High Mages are seemingly killed by friendly fire. Only Tashren, a High Mage, and Tattersail, commander of the Second's Mage Cadre, survive. Moonspawn is driven off in the battle, wreathed in the smoke of its defeat. Pale falls, and the Malazan's mysterious allies, the Moranth, sack the city in an hour of brutality. Unbeknownst to Tashren, the Bridge Burners, an elite sapping unit of whom the demoted Sergeant Whiskey Jack is commander, manage to save the soul of a dying mage, Hairlock, and transfer it to a new puppet vessel. Tattersail then agrees to help them expose Tashren's treachery. Meanwhile, Ganoas Perrin travels by ship to Ganabacus. Topper, the Clawmaster, visits Perrin via Warren, delivering orders for him to take command of the Bridge Burners. Arriving at Ganabaris, Perrin travels by quarrel with the green Morath to Pale. Dujek intends to send the bridge burners to Jerujistan, the last surviving free city, to lay the groundwork for the Malazan attack. 
The newly promoted Captain Ganoes Perrin arrives to take command of the bridge burners, but he is almost immediately assassinated by Sari. Opan, god of luck, intervenes and arranges for Perrin to survive. The bridge burners leave for Darugistan without him. Tattersail helps Perrin return to health. Whilst recuperating, Perrin foils an attack on the sorceress by a hound of shadow. Now in Darugistan, Krepa has one of his dreams, in which he tells his audience of beggars that the coin will fall that night. Crocus Younghand robs the Diarl estate at about the same time as one of the members of Darugistan's assassins guild, Talo Krefar, is ambushed by an unknown foe. As Crocus makes his getaway, Talo, who mistakes the thief for his assistant, takes a shot at him. At that very moment, Crocus hears a coin fall and bends to pick it up, which saves his life. He is then pursued by those who attacked and killed Talo, escaping again and again through sheer luck. His pursuers come to the conclusion that an ascendant is meddling. Circlebreaker, a spy for the eel, observes a meeting between Turban Orr and Councilman Fetter. The great raven crone visits the alchemist Baruch on behalf of Anamander Rake to arrange a meeting between them. Whilst there, Baruch allows her to observe as Councilman Orr calls on him. Or wants Baruch to support his intention to issue a proclamation of neutrality. The alchemist declines, and Orr tells him that even without his support, the motion will be passed, as he has secured a majority in favor. To avenge a friend, Ralik Nam lies in wait to kill Lady Simtal, but at the last minute, influenced by Opan, Nam kills her lover, the councilman Lim, instead. This inadvertently scuppers Orr's plans, as he no longer has a majority. In the meantime, more members of the Assassin's Guild come under fire from unknown assailants, and Anamander Rake visits Baruch and agrees to an alliance with him and his fellow Cabal members. Man, there is so much about this that, that seems so conventional, right? I mean, you know, we've, we've got the, the politics, we've got thieves, we've got assassins, we've got sieges, there's mages. There's, but then the thing with Malazan seems to be that there's so much in here also that's absolutely bonkers like like the moranth they like these bug people but they're they're like no one's ever yeah. seen them they don't know if they're actually humans or not like for me they're just bug people that ride big right. bugs they like ride dragonflies like they ride dragonflies and they're yeah. like there's like a color system for them and everything and they have like this weird language where it's just mostly like hisses and clicks and it's like because we're in media res here and because nothing's really being explained to us, it just seems so like tossed in and like so matter of like matter of fact, you know, it's just like, oh, the Marath bug people are here riding on their dragonflies, you know, whatever. Sure. I guess it's time to get on our dragonflies so we can <laughs> fly over to Darugistan. It's so cool. You know what I mean? Like we're seeing this world through people that very much live here. Like they I mean, I don't know if you could ever really get used to a giant dragon like that scene where whiskey jack is, i think it's whiskey jack is like they're about to leave on the moranth oh no on the um coral and it like looks at him they like make eye contact he like makes eye contact with this bug thing and it's like it's such a weird little part to include mm -hmm. there but okay so uh that was just one thing i wanted to get out of the way here real quick what i really want to talk about though is what i think is this the the pinnacle of honestly there's like a, there's a part towards the end that's really amazing, but like the Siege of Pale is it's so iconic that it's it's like on the cover of the collection, the collected Malazan Books of the Fallen ebook. The the scene where, you know, Anamander Rake comes out, he stands out on like this 
this platform you can barely see him right but like he's like this black figure like against all this like, white snapping like, in the wind and then like just seeing it from Tattersell's perspective and Tattersell just like watching like these waves of like chaos magic like just descend and like just taking souls down here man like just the well, amount first she feels the aura of his magic power and she's like oh my god and then we don't and find she's this a out master. Yeah. And she's a master already. Yeah, she's leader of the mage cadre for um, the, I forget which. The second like, army. The second army. Thank you. Um, we learn later that there's great ravens, right? And these things are like 15 foot wingspan. They feed off of magic. Uh, so they need to have like a lot of magic around them in order to survive. And thousands of these things bloom out. Like the first hit that um, Taste Grail. Taste Grail, am I saying that right? Tattersail. Taste, no, no um, the leader. Oh, Taste Taste Grand, thank you. Um, he attacks Moonspawn, and then that kind of like causes all of the great ravens to fly off of it, and there's thousands of them. So the fact that there's thousands of ravens able to be supported off of the magic of Anomander Rake or whoever else is in Moonspawn <laughs> uh, is incredible, you know? And pretty... Well, there's like pieces that are falling off of it into Pale. Into the city because oh it's over God. it. Yeah. I know what's so amazing about that Entire cliffs, is... it says. It's a, it's um, it's not happening in real. I mean, it's a, it's a memory of Tattersales, right? Because the 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 chapter starts um with her kind of like seeing the aftermath of that battle, and then the next section of it is her remembering it, and really, the the seeds that that battle that is not very long. It's like a few pages, you know. Yeah. It's not like this long drawn out chapter or anything. And I think that it was really clever of Erickson to just kind of do it in like this kind of flash of memory for Tattersail. Um, like her lover is disintegrated and right before he's disintegrated, I think Callet is his name, uh, right before he's disintegrated, he kind of like looks off and is like his eyes widen and like the attack that, that killed him and cut Hairlock in half and killed um, the other uh, high mages. Her entire squad. Right. Uh, and, and then a, just a shitload of other people, obviously. Right. Like, I think it's like we forget sometimes that there are just thousands of soldiers Fodder. also like, right there, too. But um, Tayshren, I wanted to ask you about that because I think that was even on my third read. I was just like, what exactly is going on here? It's like, is Tayshren like very loyal to Lacine? We don't know really at this point. Okay. Tayshren, we know that he has some sort of mixed loyalties because he's certainly um, not always attacking the bad guys <laughs> as it was very much well. Tattersail is fairly certain that, and Hairlock was like screaming to her as he was cut in half. Well, I guess he wasn't screaming. He actually remained remarkably calm throughout very the entire calm. thing. I think very he knew for quick, a man who's he knew been quick cut ben in half. And were on their way over. Totally, totally. Yeah, he's like, I made a backdoor, man. I always have a backdoor plan. <laughs> uh, and his backdoor plan is crazy, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But yeah, he was like, where did the like blue fire that incinerated us come from? Like, did it come from Anomander Rake? And so he was like, it was very much implied that Tayskran was the one who attacked them. I want to talk about Hairlock a little bit here because that is just wacky. For anybody that was reading and was like, is, is that really what, what happened? Yes, actually, you didn't read that incorrectly. Uh, his soul was transferred to a puppet like a marionette, a marionette style puppet um who has full bodily autonomy apparently and can can walk around and um is just that's a person in a marionette's body now i just always think he looks like a gingerbread man in my head he's just a gingerbread man in my mind he looks like pinocchio from shrek like that's, that's how better. I, 
<laughs> Mine is like the gingerbread man from Shrek. Also like, not my gum, but drop the buttons, you know? Also, I'm really glad that you showed me this cover photo because Moonspawn, in my mind, probably because the word moon is in it, has always looked like a miniature moon. And it's always oh, I've been really seen hard. depictions of it like that. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, it's no, really you're hard not, for yeah. me to like reckon the fact that he comes out on a ledge and it's like, well, is he like, how does the gravity work? You know, because it's like round. It's like a ball if it's the moon. And so is he standing like perpendicular to the ground being attracted from the gravity of Moonspawn? No, I don't think so is the answer. So I like this image. So the way that I pictured it when I first read it was I pictured Moonspawn as like kind of like an upside down mountain with the city on top on the level part of it, like an inverted pyramid almost. Yeah, I'm going to change to top. that. That's good. But but I've also seen depictions of it being like a like a crescent moon shape almost with oh. most of the city inside of the crescent, like at the base of the crescent on the inside. You know what I mean? So I've seen that kind of depiction as well. Oh, wow. If you type in Moonspawn Malazan and then go to images on Google, there's a lot of really cool ones. Wow. By the way, though, folks, uh, just look up pictures to at your own discretion because I've already had one thing spoiled for me. Uh, so just, oh. <laughs> it's very tempting because you want to get an image of what things look like. So just be careful. Uh, try to find uh, spoiler-free Reddit threads or something or whatever, but just be careful. Um, also, the cool thing about finding spoilers, though, is that there's so much crazy shit going on in this series, you'll probably forget what that even means anyway. So it's unless it's like a huge character death. But anyway, um, the reason I wanted to talk about Hairlock a little bit is because I wanted to get this right. Did they task him with navigating the the chaos warrens is that like what his whole thing is is like they needed him to maybe not the chaos warrens but he needs oh and okay sorry everybody we knew we knew this was going to be a mess but like the the warrens let's go through that real quick just so that everybody okay. can <laughs> and then we can talk about hairlock which my first read through i didn't even kind of understand those until the third book i think it was until someone like is like talking there's like a conversation there i was like oh that helps so much you know there are quite a few different kinds of magic in malazan and the, the magic is sourced into this realm i guess you could call it, it this plane of existence i guess you yeah, could call yeah it. good, good. Uh, that, that magic that type of magic um, depending on what you're trained in, is sourced from a warren, which is a sort of magical uh, outer dimensional channel. Altered dimension, that, yeah. Yeah, that you, can, that you can, in fact, navigate physically. Right, you can literally go there. Yeah, but, um, but that's where the magic like, comes from. And you can like open warrens, like portals to the warrens and stuff. Uh, when Perrin and Topper are uh, traveling to... Where do they go? Uh, Unta? They they uh, go back to the city, the, the Malazan um, Imperial City. What is the like the oh the city of Malaz? I'm pretty sure. Did, I thought they, they went to Malaz Unta. City. For some oh, reason, like, I... where is Unta? Because they start. Unta's at in place. Quantali. Oh, oh wait, no, 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 no. no. Uh, Unta is the current capital, not Malaz City. Oh really? I'm sorry. Interesting. Okay, so yeah, so he they he did they did take a warrant to Unta, and that was where parents' family is. So the, you're right, the though, map that the of right now. Yeah, I looked it up. Uh, so for our listeners, um, so the prologue takes place on a little island where Malaz City is, and it's right uh, next to Quantali, which is a landmass to the west. And then the part with Sari and like the dogs and where we first see Perrin and um, the adjunct uh, Lorne and everything uh, and, and, and all that jazz, that's all happening on Quantali in Itko Khan, which is kind of like a coastal area of Quantali, and then totally. Perrin and Topper, one of the claws, 
goes to Unta through an Imperial Warren, and they talked with uh, Lassine for a little bit. And Lassine's just like, "Oh, I remember you, the little young little whippersnapper, like, whatever." And then Perrin <laughs> goes and talks to his family for a tiny little bit, which is extremely relevant. Don't worry. And then the rest of the book takes place on Genebecus, which is a completely different continent. And then Deadhouse Gates all takes place in seven cities, which is a completely different continent. <laughs> yeah, this this story, you know, like you even mentioned when you we first started this podcast was that, you know, you started book two and you're like, and it was on a totally different continent. And I was like, what the hell? That is something that everybody, uh, including myself, needs to just like accept and get used to right now is this story is all over the place. And I think there's I think it's like book six or something. I don't know. There's a book in our future that like the first at least half is on an is totally about a whole new set of characters even though we spent like last six books or something with the old ones it just like so it's this this story has a uh definite theme and trend of just like going all over the place but they all will connect at one point i uh, assure, i assure you <laughs> though it is sometimes frustrating i want to keep talking about pale before we, we move to the Jerusalem stuff because the the first Jerusalem chapter is like in my opinion it's like not that interesting it's just me like uh, i know that the, the characters are important, but I want to stick with Pale for just a little bit longer because I want to talk about what happens with Perrin when he gets stabbed and then goes to weird, dusty desert purgatory where there's like an arch of like writhing bodies and stuff. And then totally. Oh, my God, man. That part is so crazy. Um, what's up with that? Like, can you explain a little bit? Because um, I think that's probably one of the more confusing parts of like Perrin getting stabbed. Was that sorry that stabbed him? Or was it Cotillion? I think it was sorry. And I th or, and I think sorry compelled is by Cotillion. compelled by yeah. Cotillion. Because the prologue of this book is like uh, Fisher, Fisherman's daughter, who's kind of like trying to get some nets back to her dad, is like watching this army go by. And she's kind of on this cliff face, like sitting next to this old, this old hag. And this old hag, who's like a magical woman of the Fisher village, throws out some weird prophecies or something right before she gets taken down or like slapped with some a gauntlet a, a gauntleted hand that which kills her and then cotillion and someone else i forget who amanas i think amanas yeah yeah they arrive out of nowhere and they claim the other side of the street and they kind of make a joke out of it and it's like the other side being their their own like realm which is probably a different warren they're referring to and they take her for some reason they're like she'll work that's fine and then they proceed to slaughter the village and a lot of the soldiers and stuff and sorry i'm quite certain is that fisherwoman who is now kind of the hand or the representative vessel. of the vessel thank you of cotillion in this mortal realm here why he needed her i'm not sure but she gets placed into the into the bridge burners i think they're trying to get to lacine they're trying to kill her they're trying to use sorry to kill lacine and that's why to my understanding it took like a, for a decent amount of magic in order to to occupy sorry like that and so they covered up for it by uh, they, they wanted to distract from the use of all that magic um, in Ikko Khan with like all these dogs that come in and, and murder like 400 people or whatever. So it's like this big massacre, right? Totally. But um, like disgusting. But adjunct Lorne, uh, I didn't mention it in the, the recap here, but she seems to be like, what does she call? She's like the opposite of magic. Like she's not, uh, <laughs> which is yeah, she, kind of confusing language. She like sniffs, sniffs out it magic out, yeah. users. But she's not, she's, I, don't, I liked how it was though, because it's like, it's not that she isn't magic or something like that. It was like, 
she was the antithesis of magic it's like yes it's not that ugh, that was such a cool way of phrasing that because it's like it's not just that like you'd have to almost be somewhat magical i feel like almost to be to able to totally. do that but anyway um perrin is sent by lorne who is like just not having it she sees the magic on the wall here she knows what's going on and so she sends perrin after this fisher girl but i don't think that Lorne knows that the Fisher girl, sorry, is going after Lucene. I think it's just sketchy that she would join up like that. And so yeah. she's having Perrin go follow her. But Cotillion knows that Perrin is there to stop sorry. So that's why he has sorry kill Perrin. Am I right about that? Yes. Okay, yep, that's yep, all totally, correct. Totally. Yeah, cool. yeah, I think that I'm, I'm pretty sure as far as I know. Yeah. And, and then there's like, I mean, there's like a two year period of time here that Perrin is at his family's manor. And then he's, I think he's just kind of, it's implied that he's trying to find out about this Fisher woman's daughter by asking other towns that are similar and just kind of figure out who she is. So then Perrin gets stabbed. He dies. Uh, yeah. And then he goes to cool, like, you know, Nevada desert, but gray Death filtered. Warren. Yeah. Like, um, somebody shows up as it, I think hood shows up as like a bunch of different versions of himself too. Like, yeah. The whole scene is so fucking weird, dude. <laughs> like, it's really weird. But, yeah. But so open, I think that's how I'm going to pronounce yep. it. It's actually, I think two, it's open. Okay. So, but, but open open, there's actually two gods or um, I don't even know if they're gods, they're ascendants. Are gods and ascendants the same thing? Oh my God. I have a question in here to ask you whether or not they're the same thing or not. Okay, I yeah, pause real quick. Everybody listening, Chad and I are doing our very best here. This is how confusing it is. So. Yeah, it's been more than, a, I think it's been at least a decade <laughs> since I've read them. Since I, when, 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 did, how old was I? I think it was like 23. I'm 34 now. So yeah, it's been like 10, 11 years. We we sometimes get people that listen to these episodes just because they like listening to our podcast and they, they don't have any desire to really read the books. So I feel like our listenership is split up into like 80% people that have read this part of the book or read this book and they're laughing along with us and they know exactly how com like convoluted <laughs> this is. And then 20% of people are like, wow, Evan and Chad really lost their edge here. Like they right, sound they like, like not even read these books. Like, wow, dude, for someone that's like, both of us are on our second read through. We're like, wait, is this like critical thing the same as this other critical thing? Oh like, my gosh, I so have funny. no freaking clue is the answer to that. But I, I, I think that the ascendance and like cotillion and stuff, I think the right way to think about them would be like a demigod. Like there are gods, but I don't think we've seen really like a, a real god yet. Yeah, like I think they're like capital G gods. And I think that cotillion's like a lowercase g god. Okay, that's that makes sense. Because so what, what happens with Perrin, like so Opon is these two ascendants, uh, a, a man and a woman. I think they're siblings. And I, I was just kind of hazy as to like why they bring Perrin back well I think what they I think what's going on here is they need a they need the opposite of sorry I think they're on the opposing team of Cotillion and whoever else was with him they're like okay well if you're gonna have like a representative for you in the mortal realm then I'm going to have one too and Perrin is supposed to be leader of that tribe or of the Malazans and that god I'm sure knows that Sari's in there and so he's like I want a representative that can kind of maybe control her that's also there. And so he's like, do you want to work for me? And this, you know, the perks is you get to continue living. <laughs> yeah, what an interesting world we have here where um, it seems like the the lowercase g gods, at least, or these ascendants, if that's what we're going to do, that's how we're going to label them. They, they seem to be able to die, for one thing. They can die. And also the populace, or at least the major moving parts and POVs that we're seeing in this series seem to be very aware of their existence 
and their meddling uh, nature. You know what I mean? It's not like this superstitious thing where it's like, oh, the gods, you know, like, oh, maybe the maybe they're there, maybe they're not. It's like, no, those pesky fucking ascendants are gonna like get all like it's it's already bad enough that we've got this empire that's trying to take over the entire world, and it's like there's this bloody war going on, and and just awful stuff is going on all the time. Not only that, but gods are real, and they have a stake in all of this as well. That's very fun stuff. So so just to shine a little light onto Opon, they are ascendants. Uh, they're called the Twin Jesters of Chance. Um, and so one thing that might help everyone to understand is, and a, and a reoccurring theme and literal item, I guess, within these, this world is the Deck of Dragons. A lot of I'm Seers so uses this deck to like predict the future. It's kind of like a, like a Wiccan deck or whatever. Uh, Tarot cards. Yeah, tarot cards. Thank you. Um, it's kind of similar there, except each one of these cards represents an ascendant. But within this deck of cards, there are, I think the word they use is aligned and unaligned. So most of the the gods, ascendants, whatever we want to call them, are aligned with either with certain forces, with certain factions. And the opon, the twin jesters of chance, are un- is an unaligned card. So kind of a chaotic, neutral element agent of chaos. That kind of explains things. Yeah, like they conduct things for their own entertainment. You know, if they see that one of the factions of gods is getting a little bit too powerful, they might deliver a coin to a young thief and uh, make it so he has just crazy good luck. So what was up with the hound coming in and trying to kill? Was it trying to kill Hairlock or was it trying to kill Tattersail or was it trying to kill Perrin? Is his name Gear? Is that the hound's I think so, name? Yeah, I think. Yeah, what yeah. Cool there's a name for a dog. Man. I know, if I yeah. ever get another dog, I'm going to name him Gear. That's a great name. I hope he's. I want to get a corgi and name him Gear after the. <laughs> yeah. But but anyway, what is that hound doing there? I think the hound is trying to kill Parent. Okay, so it's a it's a Uno reverse card, on. Opon. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> basically. Basically. Because it's trying to prevent the uh, it's it's the hounds are servants of one of the gods and it's one of the ones that are I believe in like the realm of shadow which is one of the houses or um. Well, I don't know if it's a house, but it's one of like the factions of the gods where I said unaligned and aligned earlier. The realm of shadow is one of those factions. Uh, so it's really dangerous for lots of times to travel in these warrens, especially if you're not aligned with the group who owns that warren. But they can be very handy because you can cross an entire ocean in a couple hours, you know, if you travel through it. And so gear follows hairlock through. Why? I don't know. Probably because um, Cotillion was like, oh, go check out who's in my realm. And then kills like a bunch of guards while in the town then comes across Tattersail and I think Tattersail is Oh, Tattersail was was guarding Perrin because okay, now I remember cuz like the other bridge burners uh, brought like, were like, "Oh, this guy got stabbed." Like, what the hell? And then Tattersail totally. was like, "I'll I'll watch over." Okay, now I remember. Okay, okay cool, cool. So the the gear was coming after Perrin. Tattersail was just there. Uh Perrin. Okay. Good. Good, good, good. Cool, cool. So so the gear was coming after Perrin. I think so. Yeah, Tattersail okay, was just okay. guarding Perrin. Gear was coming to finish the job. It's, you're right. It, you're that's right. what I'm looking at it as. I could be wrong. So, uh, the bridge burners, uh, Fiddler, Callum, Quickben, none of them seem to like Sari very much. They're all really sketched out by her, uh, except for I mean, Whiskey Quickben Jack. describes her as pure evil. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Whiskey Jack is not hearing it, not having it. Which I mean, there's definitely like a like a nice little paragraph where um, you know, it's just like. Uh, Whiskey Jack like just couldn't couldn't handle it if that was the truth or whatever. I can't remember. Right, the right, exact right. He's a big softy inside. He's a big softy. What do you think about that? Like, what do you think about like this many of the bridge burners having like this much of an issue with this new recruit? But 
they're just i mean they're very loyal to whiskey jack and they're not you know what i mean like they like i feel like quick ben or um callum could have probably at least attempted to get rid of her right point, well but... i mean here's the thing right it's like either they're right and they end up doing like good for the world and kill like an agent of a probably not very morally good god lower g but or, or they kill a little girl, right? Like, so, like, that's, like, they gotta be really certain. She's, like, so obviously, like, not a regular 15-year-old yeah, girl. Yeah, like just because someone's not a, sure. a, a no, regular right. Marine yeah. doesn't mean you yeah. want to kill her, you know? She's, like, yeah. I think it's probably... And they don't know that she's, like... They just think something's <laughs> up with her. They don't know, like, it's Cotillion, you know what I mean? Like, they're not... Right. Yeah, they're not, like, oh, we know exactly what's going on, and it's really bad. They're, like, nah, something's up with this chick. I don't know what the hell's going on. You know, okay. I just wanted to pick your brain about that a little bit, because, um... I think it just shows really well um, the position of command and authority that Whiskey Jack holds over everybody, and everybody's very cool with it. So the Bridge Burners, you want to talk a little bit about like their history? Rather you did, because I, I mean, I know a little bit about them, but I think you could probably do a better job. So there was the Empire. You know, we're in like the sixth or seventh year of Lassine's rule, and the Emperor before who Lassine seven or eight years ago, like directly after the um, the prologue of this book, um, she took over. It was like a coup or something. So she took over the Empire. So now she's the Empress. The first thing that she did upon gaining power was this purge they called it which is basically um which has happened in our history many times someone takes over a ruling body and they kill all of the allies of the old lord so there's no one there to undermine them and that's pretty much what lacine did when she took control of uh, the empire of malazan was just kill all of those loyal and seems to kind of still be doing it and seems to kind of be doing it still yeah and one of those last few holdouts that she has not fully eradicated is the bridge burners which is a squad of soldiers that were very loyal to the old emperor but also like storied like they're very legendary because they've been like every big battle that is a uh, like told stories of and stuff in this world, the bridge burners are like central to them. And so, you know, the time that we meet whiskey Jack and his surrounding cohorts, they have gone through hundreds of battles have been the heroes of many, many battles. So she can kill them, but she has to do it in a way that she doesn't get caught really, because it'll and right. all, all the soldiers, you know, Harold whiskey Jack, they're all given these names. You know, if you're given like a nickname, you're probably, you probably did something heroic, you know? And so she has to go through and kill them all, which is, why they're all in the tunnels underneath the city of pale trying to dig through they're given the task of that and then the morning before they take over the city something happens that collapses those tunnels and kills, kills most of them most yeah, yeah i think there's like 15 left or something oh my gosh like, yeah very very few there were like hundreds and, of them yeah yeah and when we meet the bridge burners it's important to understand that these poor poor people have been uh, underground for the last two years trying to tunnel under the city of pale and then they get collapsed on these things people say that it was anamander rake but probably was taste and uh then they come out all covered in dust and of course then we we uh get taken away with the story not to mention um dujek has been given orders to send the bridge burners to uh durjistan uh which not trying to spoil anything really but just it's a very it's very it's mentioned that durjistan uh is sitting on top of a bunch of natural gas deposits um i don't know if the natural gas is the word i would well, use there durjistan is a, another dangerous place to send the bridge burners they're very wary of this they're like what the totally. hell is going on like why are we being sent to, to durjistan on like this weird special mission um 
so yeah, that's important to go over too. Also, is that uh, <clears throat> also I, I I was given the impression that they seem to want to put Dujek one arm on the throne uh, to usurp uh, Lassine. Um, Who's they? The bridge burners. The bridge burners. Yeah, okay, the cool. bridge burners seem to, and it's even like there's even like this tiny little exchange, and Dujek like shuts it down like immediately. Yeah, because you know, uh -huh. they're just they're just like I don't know, man. When you're in charge, and he's just like shut the fuck up, man. Nope, like nope, nope. Like, no. <laughs> and Dujek is like um, the the leader of that high that, fist. That he's he's yeah, like the high the fist, main, which is interesting. The general. Because, uh, see, that's the thing with like this kind these kinds of politics, and um, this is the kind of politics that I enjoy reading about, honestly, because there is. There is a lot at stake here. And also, like, Lassine, kind of to your point before, like, Lassine can't just, like, take literally everybody out, like, North Korea style. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, like, like this she just, still needs it, the support of her army. Yeah, like, this isn't the kind, like, she's in, she's engaged in an active campaign right now. Like, Dujek One Arm is, like, a legendary fist. You know what I mean? Like, a, or at least, you know, I think he's a newly appointed fist, but he's a legendary commander. So just taking him out, taking Whiskey Jack out, it would leave the rest of the army very demoralized. Right. It'd be like Franklin Delano Roosevelt taking a patent. Yeah. So I think that's most of the information we need from Pale. Uh, I think I've got a pretty good handle on it. There's still some stuff that's just kind of hazy for me. Like I, for like still even after our conversation, I'm not quite sure if Gear was sent to kill Parent. Sounds like he probably was, but I'm not really sure exactly what that's all about. I'm not really sure about Parent's sword. I don't really understand the significance of his sword. Uh, or where he got it exactly, or what Opon did to it exactly. Uh, hopefully, that's just more stuff that we can start working out towards the end of uh, of this book, because I think that my memory will start getting jogged a little bit more once I read some more stuff, um, more some more parent chapters, some more Whiskey Jack chapters and stuff. We need to move on to Darujistan. That's a that's okay. a lot of stuff from Pale that we have to talk about. Uh, I don't want to talk too much more about Darujistan because I didn't I didn't love this book. Um, it was kind of it was it was pretty confusing. Let me just explain like what I think I understood, and then you can fill in the gaps if, if you can. Um, so it seems to me that uh, Animander Rake has just suffered uh, quite a loss here. And you think he's it was kinda... a loss, yeah. Huh? I, I was, never mind. Oh, you yeah. can finish your thought. I'll ask the question later. <laughs> I everything just have a thought. Is, and, everything yeah. is just like, well, was it though, really? Yeah, I know, okay. I know. But anyway, so Animander Rake is appealing to this alchemist. Um, Baruch. And Baruch. Um, but while this is before that happens, Baruch is spoken to by um, Orr, who is uh, some sort of ruling council who's saying, okay, so we're the last city. So Darujistan is the last free city on Ganabekis. They just took down Pale. They're coming for us now. We are going to let them in, basically. Like, we're, we're going to basically just show our bellies. And yeah, we can't. And, and then. Uh, Baruch or is kind of like to do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Baruch is kind of like eh, I don't know, and then the other guy is like, "Well, we already we're good to vote on it." So, and I've got the people. Uh, but then uh, somebody that was on this ruling council, I guess, was assassinated. Um, even though the assassin was trying to kill this um, noble woman, I suppose uh, you could call her Lady Simtal. Mm -hmm. um, he was, he was trying to kill her, but then Opan seemed to intervene. Who, who Opan just has their fingers in all kinds of different pies. That's a thing. So that that set that offset the vote, so that now it's all up in the air again. I think what I'm having trouble with here is just like Crocus and Marillion and Kreppa and what the hell is up with all the? I mean, I know that Crocus like finds a coin, 
which was a really cool scene when he like finds the coin and just as he ducks down to grab it, like an arrow goes over his head and stuff like that. And he's just barely squeaking by um, getting, uh, I liked all that stuff. He he notices that there's like these kind of like shady people doing shady stuff on the rooftops. Right. Um, and he bends down to grab a coin just as an arrow like flies over him. Um, right. Then, right. Okay. Doesn't he like, okay. So that's, that's really, I don't understand the significance of like, what's really going on with these people in the, I, I understand how it kind of develops later, but if you can kind of just like fill me in a little bit more on what's going on in this chapter specifically. I don't remember exactly everything that happens in that chapter, but I will say the like kind of my understanding of part two of this book is to book two, <laughs> book two. Thank you. Book two, book two. I'm trying to say part two because it makes more sense to me yeah. personally, but like, I get it. <clears throat> I should use the, what it says in the um, like outline of the beginning. Cause it is book one, book two. So in book two, I think, is an introduction to the city of Darujistan and the way that it works and the kind of players that are pivotal in this story within it, in which there are five. There is the assassins, the alchemists, and uh, the thieves, the council that rules the city, and then the the crew, which is like Kruppa and Crocus and I think Marillo and maybe Ralik Nam. And so those are kind of the pl- the players here. And then it also, I think, is really trying to nail down the theme of there are ascendants and behind every one of the like mortals actions is a ascendant who's trying to push them and coerce them to do their bidding basically and that's why we see sorry gets taken we see perrin kind of get aligned we see crocus now has the coin of opon so we kind of get um, drilled into our heads there's a big theme here of that the gods small g are factioning out and then trying to defeat each other by using mortals as their puppets and then yes there was a god that was opposed to darujistan uh the darujistan indians just getting up and kind of leaving and allowing the mala's army to just walk in and take over everything and that god made it so was that opan i think who made it so what, what was the god do we know that made it so the arrow hit I believe that's person. Opon. I'm okay, pretty okay. sure. Yeah, so I think Opon, who was unaligned, is kind of like picking sides here. Or maybe just trying to be an agent of chaos because it seems that's what they do just for their own entertainment sort of thing. But whatever reason, they don't want the other god, the, the, their opposed faction, uh, to to give up the city of Darugistan. Um, And I think it's kind of funny with, what is the councilman's name, Or? Oh, yeah, Turban Or, yeah. Yeah, it's made very clear that he is just basically a pawn. Like, the councilmen don't really have any real power. I think the Alchemist Guild, and Baruch specifically, the head of them, is kind of one of the real power players in the city. Yeah, he mentions that the the like the sorcerers and like the, 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 the magic peoples of Darugistan are very kind of like uncooperative, and Baruch yeah. has like a lot of influence over them. And I think that Orr and most of the, the councilmen... They seem to think that like the reason that Pale fell was because of its sorcerers. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. it's it, like Pale, like the Empire came in and cleaned out all of Pale's sorcerers, and now now they're coming to clean out Darugistan's sorcerers. But it's like, no, they're coming to it's a it's conquest. Like it's you know what I mean? Like you're not going to be able to negotiate your way out of this. They're the last surviving free city on in right in the way of this imperial train that's choo chooing its way over to you. It's not the sorcerers. Totally. And if we look at Lacine's history as to what she does when she takes over a new area is she pogroms the the current leader class. Right. So I think or 
probably would be not acting in his own best interest to give up the city as he would probably be marked down being a councilman as one of the uh, ones to be purged, right? So she can establish a new ruling council. So he thinks maybe for whatever reason that it would be best to give up the city, but I think it probably wouldn't be best seeing with Lassian's history, uh, he would probably she would probably take out all of the current rulers or anyone with any influence within the city. So let's talk about the conversation between Animator Rake and Baruch. Right. Um, that's a pretty interesting conversation. I remember I said earlier that it was like Animator Rake has just suffered a defeat. Uh, I mean, I feel like, did he just bounce? Like, did he just leave? Like, yeah, or... so in the middle of this onslaught being led by Tayskrin and, um, you know, Tattersail is part of this, and they just kind of started moving away. And I don't know if that was a retreat. Because there's like other people living on this. I mean, it's it's more than just, yeah, there's, there's it's more than, there's like, this is like Animander Rake's like people, you know? Right, right. Like, the Tisty Andy. I think it's just pronounced Tist Andy. Oh, really? I don't think it, it doesn't matter, man. Like everything's I like pronounced. Tisty Andy. <laughs> you can pronounce anything you, the way you want to, man. I'm going Tisty. I don't know this for sure, but I'm kind of guessing, uh, thinking that they're kind of like this, this world's elves almost. Like they're like original. They're like an old race of people. Sure. Yeah. And Anamander Rake is their leader. So this is where we found out we find out that Tayshran really was responsible for yes. the deaths of. So uh, this, I mean, I don't know for, about you, but this made me very kind of like sympathetic to Anamander Rake. Is that kind of like the point of all of this? Because like I have, I have always loved Anamander. I, I read seven books and I never stopped loving Anamander Rake. <laughs> I, I felt like that was. I mean, also we're learning more about the, the lay of the land here. We're learning more about Pale's wizards. We're learning more about Darugistan and the wizards here and stuff. And like how Rake and Baruch and everybody feel about this. It's very important to know about all this stuff. Uh, to an extent, I mean, just as much as it's, it's important to keep all this <laughs> yeah. other stuff rattling around your head. Um, but I feel like it was more to kind of like show uh, Animander Rake's kind of like side of this battle and, and what he wants and stuff. Totally. Yeah. But I don't I don't really have clear understanding of exactly all that Animander Rake's wants. Do you? Mm, and if no, so, help me not out from not not from that conversation. I can't. Yeah, because he's definitely the leader of the Tisti Andy. Obviously, he doesn't want his people to be destroyed. They Moonspawn is like, like his castle. Did you get the impression that the Moonspawn is the only land, quote unquote? I'm using big air quotes there. That Maybe. the Tisti Andy own. They don't have like any other sort of country I'm or anything. Sure. I don't, I have, okay, I don't and no, neither do that, I. Yeah. What's up with Cruel the Elder God? Now we're talking large G God. I guess if if, if, if it's an Elder God, yeah, then I would yeah. imagine that it's a bigger. It's a it's a bigger god than one of the ascendants totally maybe. and i think they kind of are the leaders of the different like factions i don't know if houses is the right word because houses definitely are a thing in these books and i don't understand them fully because they haven't been brought up in <laughs> the first part of this book um but uh but yeah they're like the leaders of different factions of these ascendants that conversation was pure greek to me man i had no idea what like whenever krupp shows up i'm just like okay like whatever the hell that meant, and it is even totally. my third time reading this, I was like, "Oh my god, I forgot about this nonsense conversation that's just about to happen." Like that's why I, did, I just didn't. I don't. I Kruppa is like fairly interesting, and I'm sure we'll become like a much bigger player soon. Maybe well, not soon. We'll become a much bigger player later down the line. Um, but yeah, I just it was all just complete nonsense to me because I don't think I have like five, six, seven, eight books to put it into context right now you know so krupp is an <laughs> krupp is a very interesting character because he's a he comes off as a simpleton right he has a crocus young hand i think is like his thief apprentice 
He is a master manipulator with hands and strings tied all throughout the events of Darugistan and has uh, the ability to, if I'm remembering correctly, he has the ability, ability of prophecy. So he says whenever Krupp, you shouldn't tune out whenever Krupp is on the page because Krupp says really hard things to understand. You're like, what the hell? But like he's actually predicting the future many times and trying to make certain outcomes happen. And so, yeah, he's always really confusing, but what he's saying is extremely important. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> and good he's currently serving as an agent of Baruch, the alchemist who is head of the like Sorcerer's Guild or whatever in um, Darugistan. Yeah, and like the rest of this chapter is just kind of like Lady Simshall and Turbinor and like Ralic and Marilio or whatever his name is and Crocus and I just I don't know. I don't really care that much about that stuff. I know I, I probably should. It's all kind of like leading to a, a point towards the end of this book that's really important. And so yes, mm -hmm. it is important to remember all this stuff, but like I don't know, man. I feel like Gardens of the Moon this book in particular, I feel like <laughs> And this is from somebody who's only read the first two books, but I feel like a lot of this book isn't really that important. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm probably so wrong. Like It's introducing characters, factions, and themes, and places. It's kind of giving us the lay of the land. You know, here's what Malazan Empire is all about. Here's what Lessing's all about. Here's the Whiskey Jack crew. Here's Krupp and uh, his crew. And here is Baruch. Here's the city of Darugistan. Here's some of the factions within it. Here's some of the ascendants. Here's some of the themes of ascendants using people as their pawns, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And maybe in the next episode, I'll be able to put a little bit more into context. I can't really remember like why all these people are important right now. Me neither. Um, yeah. We haven't done an episode where we've stopped like a mid a part way through a book. So uh, if you're listening right now and you're like, why doesn't Evan care about any of this stuff? It's like, I will just give me a few more chapters. You know what I mean? Right. Like, we just I, barely like, got introduced to these yeah, people. Yeah. Like I just like right now, it's just like, oh like turban is like laying on a bed and like lady Sintal, and like oh this guy's wife is like hanging on marilia's shoulder like oh the drama and it's, i don't really give a shit about any of that stuff right now like i will <laughs> eventually um but yeah the jerusalem chapter just coming off coming hot off the heels of the siege of pale um stuff is just like it's not that interesting to me you know like it's totally but um yeah i mean that's about all i wanted to go over for this episode actually uh, just to shine a little bit of light and and maybe I want to confirm my understanding when Anna Mandarake is talking to Baruch, he says that like he he tasks Baruch with bringing him the heads of two escaped mages of pale. Yeah, totally. So for some reason, Anna Mandarake has some beef with the mages of pale and yeah, is like, I, I want them dead. I didn't really understand that part. Me neither. Yeah. Really yeah. That. And then we hear when we can. He had already this... killed some of the mages of pale, didn't he? Yes, Anna I Mandarake? believe so. Yeah. OK, go ahead. Yeah, and then uh, when the more oh, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, we hear mention of and and it's interesting. Whenever his name gets brought up, there's always a character who's like, "Huh, that name sounds really familiar," which is Kaladin Brood. Yeah, I've I've never seen this man, but I already know he's super badass. I already super know. awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, excited. Yeah, he's the leader of the Tisti Andy. Oh forces. wait, no, he's part of this. He's in this book at some point, isn't he? I don't know. I do, actually, I think we do see him eventually. Do we? Okay. You can quote me on that later. I'm pretty sure Kaladin Brood is in this book. Okay. I don't remember, man. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> nah, okay. So what do you think? Um, one of my final questions here. Do you, do you, what do you think about the Malazan's Empire's alliance with the Moranth, these insect-like people? Cause they I think don't, it's cool. I, I, think, I think it's think cool it's, too, but yeah. like, it doesn't seem to be a popular decision amongst her and it's common also, army. It doesn't seem to be like a super smart decision either. Cause it's like. Why not? 
Well, because they're like a really mysterious people. Like they don't yeah. seem to like they don't seem like they seem loyal to an extent, but like I just don't Only feel like as far as it'll serve their purposes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they just yeah, don't give yeah. me like they don't give me like this like ultimate like loyalty vibe at all, you know. Totally. And they're for really some, cool. For some reason the um the mages of pale were had been like manipulating the maranth and the maranth have like the maranth society has a big like revenge streak in it and so when they get allowed they get like this allowed an hour of revenge or something when the city gets taken over that um tattersale kind of like comments on and for every life that the moranth thinks that the mages of pale took from them they go in and in this hour of revenge take back uh killing in the city of pale and so yeah the moranth are a really interesting kind of hard to i don't know it's hard to empathize with like a group of insect people you know it's like hard to <laughs> i don't even know if they are insects they don't have eyebrows they are insect people for sure they're like chitinous and they click and stuff <laughs> i love it i love it so, so yeah much. and it seems like it seems like la scene is only a ruler from fear like nobody is ruling is with her because they love her you know she seems pretty scary she's allying them with like dark ancient races that are super scary um yeah, I don't know. It seems like they're they kind of represent the darker side of her rule, which is just her wanting power. And I love the fact that the Malazan Empire and the city of Malaz, like you said, is just like a little island, but it's taking over entire continents. You know, it'd be like Cuba taking over America or something. Okay, that's gonna do it for me. For uh, I don't know, I don't know what do you, what do you think, Chad? Is there anything else you want to go over? Because I'm kind of like no, dude. I want to go I'll, read I'll... more of this and put some more into me context too. and everything. I think this was a great in, uh, episode to get everybody introduced to the series. Um, yeah, I'm really excited, man. I'm so excited to become uh, at least somewhat more of an expert on Malazan by the end of us reading this. Um, even though I feel like I'm gonna need to read it all again at some point in my life. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm reminded even just after these two books of how truly like unique this series is. Um, it's just like a cornerstone fantasy book in the fantasy book realm. You know, it's like the depth of story, environment, and characters just can't be compared. And uh, you know, everybody, we really, really do appreciate you coming on this on this one with us more than pretty much anything else we've read. Actually, I think that Chad and I wanted to do this from when we first started the podcast, and. I'm I'm just so happy that this is the way that we're doing it. We built up our audience this much that we've got such an engaged uh, audience here for these uh, episodes, and we've got so many. There's a ton of people that are involved in this and getting more all the time. And uh, if you're listening to us in the future, hello, thank you for listening hello. to our cool evergreen content that we made years ago. And uh, hopefully, this is helping you. Maybe not this first episode so much, right? Like maybe there was certainly a lot of question marks. Probably the pretty conversations for you. Yeah, this is probably you're probably just the same amount of confused, uh, but you're with friends and we're confused. You are in you are in good hands. <laughs> you're in confused and company. If you have any sort of nuggets of information that will um, uh, answer any of those question marks that we were stumbling along with, you know, feel free to uh, yeah, slide into our DMs. We would love of that uh for sure yeah we are first and foremost uh two best friends reading a really cool series so we do not pretend oh, yeah. to be experts on what we're reading about by any means uh with with any series and especially not this one so uh yeah anyway i'm gonna go i'm gonna go read more of this i need to do. get some more context in so we can have an even better conversation in the next episode so look out for the next episode everybody we're gonna try to make this a weekly thing we'll do our very and best what is the next episode gonna cover if you're reading along uh, with us so that will cover know. books three and four which would be the mission and assassins respectively excellent and then we're gonna do three books for the last episode then get into deadhouse gates uh 
Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Hope you have an awesome rest of your day. And of course, happy reading. Bye, everybody.